Oh, and Senator, just one more thing. Love your suit. He's a monster, a pure psychopath. It's so rare to capture one alive, from a research point of view. Mr. Harding is our most prized asset. You know, we get a lot of reviewers here, but I must say I can't remember one so attractive. Will you be in Baltimore overnight? Because this can be quite a fun town if you have the right guy. <laughs> I'm sure it's a great town, Dr. Chilton, but my instructions are to talk to Harding and record a podcast. I see. Let's make this quick, then. I'm busy. Harding carved up nine movies that we're sure of, and podcasts the most hated ones. We've tried to study him, of course, but he's much too stupid for the standard tests. And my, does he hate us. Thinks I'm his nemesis. Late seating's very clever, isn't it, using you? Uh, how do you mean, Dr. Chilton? A young reviewer to turn him on? I don't believe Harding's ever discussed a movie with another reviewer in eight years. And, oh, is this movie ever his taste, so to speak? I graduated from a West Virginia liberal arts college, Doctor. It was not a charm school. Good, then you should be able to remember the rules. Do not reach to the bars, do not touch the bars. You pass him nothing but soft paper. No pens, no pencils. No staples or paper clips in his paper. Use the sliding food carrier, no exceptions. Do not accept anything he attempts to hold out to you. Do not mention the Star Wars prequel films, and for the love of God, don't say the words heaven and gate in the same sentence. Do you understand me? I understand. I'm going to show you why we insist on such precautions. On the afternoon of July 8th, 1981, he was reviewing an Adam Sandler film. His mouthpiece and restraints were removed for some popcorn. When the usher bent over him, he did this to him. <laughs> the doctors managed to get his joy of film back, more or less, and save one of his fondest childhood movies. Harding's pulse never got over 85 even when he savaged E.T. the Extraterrestrial for being sappy and melodramatic. I keep him in here. Just go down there to the end of the hall past the masturbating lunatics. <sighs> Thank you, Dr. Chilton. Hi, Steve! <laughs> hey, Jason. Hey, we're going to do a podcast, right? Yes, that's what I'm here for, man. Yep, yep. Oh, boy, are we going to follow our same format where we take a classic film and we determine whether it lives up to its reputation of whether it being good or bad? <sighs> yes, we are. Yay! <laughs> okay, let's press record. Hi, everybody. My name's Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And this week, we're going to review a classic movie that's... Um, Super scary and psychological and um, gross, <laughs> right, Steve? It's a, it's a thriller and it's a thinker. It's a thrill thinker. It's a thrinker. <laughs> well, cue up, everyone, and, and get a ride on the thrill thinker. <laughs> That's where you spin in a circle really fast. It's like the bobsleds at a carny carnival, <laughs> where, <laughs> except it flashes up philosophical quotes as you whiz by. Who wants some backwards Nietzsche? <laughs> oh, we do! <laughs> what is each thing in itself? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I wrote The Thrill Thinker until I had an existential crisis and then threw up. It was awesome. I bought another ticket and got right back in line. <laughs> Maybe we should tell them what movie we're reviewing, Steve. Oh, right, because they probably don't know yet. Nope, they probably haven't been able to figure it out. Nope. 
What movie are we reviewing, Steve? We are reviewing that classic film from 1991, Best Picture winner, incredibly yeah. influential piece of work, starring mm. uh, Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, directed by Jonathan Demme. It's The Silence you're, of the Lambs. You're doing my job before. Oh, oh, someone tried to take my job away once, and I tore their film apart and shoved uh, it down their throat. Oh, How dare you? I'm just going to stand back away from the glass, but I, I'm still close to the microphone, so don't worry. All right. Do you have any trivia that's not related to the part that I do every week? <laughs> um, I, I, it won a lot of Oscars. It was one of the few films, relatively speaking, in Oscar history to win the Oscar Grand Slam. Of... It wasn't up against much. No, that's true. That's true. <laughs> um, was that or Thelma and Louise? Yeah, but it, but, but for whatever reason, it won uh, the Big Five. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, and uh, one of the Best Screenplay Oscars. In this case, Best Adapted Screenplay. So, a Personally, highly... I think Term- Terminator Two should have won. <laughs> <laughs> For best actor, definitely. I mean, yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> I would. I, come on, wouldn't you just want to hear a Schwarzenegger acceptance yeah. speech? Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much for the Oscar. <laughs> I never thought I would be nominated. He's not very strong. You should work out a little bit. <laughs> I'm glad I defeated the Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Look at his arms; they're like spaghetti. <laughs> All right, yes. well, if that's all we got, I'm going to start doing that thing that you jumped on. Oh, I'm sorry, okay? I'm I'm sorry, boss. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we go with the Who Made It and What the Hell. <laughs> it's directed by Jonathan Demme, who also directed uh, Something Wild, and then he directed Philadelphia after this, another mm-hmm. Oscar thing or mm-hmm. lots of stuff. And he's made a lot of films. He hasn't made anything really good lately, has he? Not for a few years. He did Rachel Getting Married about ten years ago. That was that I thought yeah. was great. But yeah, but he hasn't really done anything like at this level, at this popularity level. No, no. I don't think. No, it was produced by Kenneth Utt, Edward Saxon, and Ron Bozeman. All three guys um, were producers on some of his other films. Screen pay, play by Ted Talley, based on The Silence of the Lambs by Thomas Harris, and it stars Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling. Anthony Hopkins as Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Do you know who else they considered for the role of Hannibal Lecter? Oh, I don't know. Who else? Okay, get ready. Oh, boy. a lot of people. Oh, boy. <laughs> Sean Connery. Okay. Can you put that? Okay, you know the scene where we come down the hallway and you look at him through the plexiglass? Uh-huh. I picture Sean Connery standing there. <laughs> Good evening. In fact, do the... <laughs> Hello. Hello, Clarice. I I ate his liver. Really? I say this? I ate his liver with... with, No. (laughs) I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, that would have been interesting. God, Daniel Day-Lewis was so young back then. How would he have done Hannibal? That would have been very interesting. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Derek Jacobi. Um, for people who don't know who Derek Jacobi is, he's a character actor from England. I think you know who he is. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I think they considered him because he had just been in um, the Kenneth Branagh scissor murder reincarnation movie, whatever it was called. Dead Again. Dead Again. Is that what it's called? No, Dead is Again. it called Dead Again? Yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> I like your title for, for it better, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> Christopher Lloyd. Clarice! Ah, uh, well... <laughs> he didn't say anything. He just gestured and made noises. <laughs> Dr. Lecter, who is Buffalo Bill? Oh, let me see. 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Dustin Hoffman. Wow. Yeah. That would have been yeah. Hoffman. That would have been a different, <laughs> different role for him. Especially since it would have been his first like major role since Rain Man. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rain Man was only two years before this. Um, someone who I w- probably would have liked to have seen in this, um, but then again, I would like to see him in every movie. John Hurt. Okay, yeah. Um, this one is a little on the nose, and that's Jack Nicholson. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I hear that Buffalo Bill's a naughty boy. <laughs> <laughs> and here's another one, and I think the reason he didn't do it was because he had just played a psychopath in prison, and that's all Bobby D. Oh, Robert yeah. De Niro. <laughs> He's like, I just he, got done playing a crazy Southern man. <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't want to get pigeonholed as a as a, a, a. I bit I bit someone's face in that movie. You really want me to bite another face? In this? I don't want to become known as face biting, <laughs> Mr. Guy. De Niro. That's why we sent you this script. <laughs> and now the final two. Now, originally, okay. um, when this movie was when it was first in development, this guy was going to direct it. And possibly star as Lecter. Oh. And I would like this simply because I like everything that he's in, even the garbage. <laughs> and that's Gene Hackman. Wow. Yeah that, yeah. that would have been very different. And the last name that I've just been keeping just for the two of us. Okay. Patrick Stewart. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But they didn't choose any of them. They chose uh, they chose you know Anthony Hopkins. Well, you know, hadn't been working for about ten years, uh, a little bit more than that. He really hadn't done anything. He, I think, he was addicted to cocaine or had a mental <laughs> breakdown or something. I don't know what he was doing. He went on a vision quest and came back and then got hit. <laughs> Jonathan Demi called him and said, "Everybody else has turned it down. So you want a job?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, we like your performance in The Elephant Man. We'd like you to be in this movie. And he's like, why The Elephant Man? He's like, it's because it's the last movie you made. That was the last movie you made, Tony. <laughs> All right, rest of the cast. Yes. Scott Glenn. I know one of your favorites. Oh, one of my one very of my favorites, favorites yeah. As Jack Crawford. Ted Levine as James Buffalo Bill Gum. Uh, has he done anything else? He uh, pocked popped up in a lot of sort of smaller films after this, and then he also had a prominent supporting role on the TV series Monk, which oh, had a good okay. long run, so yeah. Yeah, talk about a point. I mean, he, golly. He he works hard in this movie, but unfortunately, it's this movie, and he got stereotyped. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, there was no way he was going to be able to break free of, of Buffalo Bill. Yeah, yeah. Anthony Heald as Dr. Frederick Chilton. <laughs> Brooke Smith as Catherine Martin, Diana Baker as U.S. Senator Ruth Martin, Cassie Lemons as Ardelia Mapp, Frankie Faison, one of my favorite character actors, mm-hmm. as Barney, Tracy Walter as Lamar, Charles Napier as Lieutenant Boyle, Danny Darcy, oh, by the way, Charles Napier, also one of my favorite uh, character actors. You've seen him in everything. Yeah. Um, Danny Darst as Sergeant Tate, Alex Coleman as Sar- Sergeant Jim Pembry. It's Jim Pembry, damn it! <laughs> yes! And Darla as Precious the Dog. Music by <laughs> Howard Shore. You know Howard Shore's music. He's done a billion movies. The Lord of the Rings. I think he did uh, other movies, too. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write any of them down. All I remember is Lord of the Rings. 
Okay, cinematographer by Tak Fujimoto. We've said his name before. Do you remember what movie we've said his name before in? Ah, uh, no, but I know that he we've Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So you know he 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 made his way up the up the ladder. Tak has been an editor in movies and TV uh, for a while. Uh, he's edited The Sixth Sense. He edited uh, the John Adam, the excellent John Adams miniseries mm. that was on HBO, and just for Steve, he edited the MacGyver pilot. Ah. <laughs> Good job, Tak Fujimoto. <laughs> Edited, oh, sorry, that was cinematography. Edited by Craig McKay. Production company, Strongheart slash Demi Productions. Distributed by Orion Pictures. Release date, February 14th, 1991. Hey, Steve, why would they release this movie in February? It's not a Valentine's thing. <laughs> because they had no idea where else to put it. <laughs> they, just, they just dumped it, and it turned out now, to be the biggest movie of the year. Just so that you guys know how big this movie was, it was released in February and it didn't win an Academy Award until the following year. So yeah. it remained in the public zeitgeist. It managed to maintain its popularity for the entire year, beat out everything that came out during quote-unquote Oscar season, and still cleaned up. And But like I said before, it wasn't a terribly good year for movies. No, but even so, that is that is incredibly rare. Yeah, for a movie to open in the first quarter of the year and then win best mm -hmm. picture, best picture. Running time just short of two hours at one hundred and eighteen minutes. Budget nineteen million. Box office two hundred and seventy-two point seven million. So it, it made its money back. Oh yeah, it was, I would say it's re it was reasonably popular. Oh yeah, I, I think that there are a lot of very disturbed people out there who uh, love Hannibal a little bit too much. Yeah, the character. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter was here to stay. They have a creepy engagement with this movie and totally miss all of the themes that Jonathan Demi literally circles and points arrows at. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. I mean, it's not the most subtle movie you'll ever see. <laughs> I will I will readily uh, admit this though when I saw it when I was 22 I did miss what the the things that he was trying to say in the film. Yeah. When I saw it when I was 22 I, I all of it just went sailing over my head and I had a much different reaction than when I got, when I got older and I had more brains. <laughs> so <laughs> All right, Steve. Yeah. If you have nothing else to add, I got nothing. Why don't you move a little closer to the glass? Oh, okay. Okay. They told closer. me I wasn't supposed to. But <laughs> All right, okay. you ready? Ready. Okay, so let's let's. I don't. I can't believe I'm going to say this. Let's go into the world <laughs> of Silence of the Lambs. Steve, take it away. Well, um, I hope you like uh, a, a shots of a sweaty Jodie Foster. Because Boy, do that, I ever! <laughs> I mean, lots of folks do. There's not a thing in the mm -hmm. world wrong with it. Um, because the opening shot is of uh, Clarice. The name of my website. Sweaty Jody Foster. <laughs> um, <laughs> lots of hits from the mental hospital where they kept Hinkley, which is uh, upsetting. <laughs> oh, uh, just upsetting. Um, <laughs> uh, we're, we open in as as we are told by an on screen title the the woods near Quantico, Virginia, where Clarice Starling, yeah. played by Jodie Foster, is running through a an obstacle course. She's training for the FBI Olympics. Yeah, exactly. Because only the medalists get to be FBI agents. <laughs> That's right. That's how they weed out the the the, the least deserving. Um, but she's climbing up ropes and jogging and stuff. Yeah, and uh, and as as the credits complete, uh, she hears somebody 
uh, running up behind her who uh, cheated and was not completing the course. No. He's a cheater. Yeah. Uh, but, he is. But he runs up to her and he says, Starling, and she turns around because she's like, I'm Starling. Uh, no, I said, I see a starling. I'm a birder. I'm sorry, starling your Eagle. name? <laughs> yeah, and, and so he, he he stops. He runs up to her and he says, hey, starling, uh, Crawford wants to see you in his office. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, so okay. So she goes, yeah, so she walks through every classroom there where they're teaching stuff. <laughs> you know, she goes, walks through the, the gun, um, hey, let's take apart our guns and put them back together and clean them class. And uh, I think, like, through the, uh, hey, here's how you fabricate evidence to convict people class, and the, uh, here's how, hey, here's, never tell anybody how we killed Kennedy class. Yeah, here's how you tip a presidential election class. Mm-hmm. He walks through uh, Mulder's office. <laughs> hey, Clarice. Hey, Mulder. <laughs> and then he finally, she finally gets to Crawford's office, and she's looking around. And she's like, wow, he's got real weird, he's got a weird obsession about this killer named Buffalo Bill, huh, Steve? Yeah, he's, she looks at the, uh, the the one entire wall that's just papered with newspaper clippings and crime scene photos. Uh, oh my god, does this mean that Crawford is Buffalo Bill? In, in a shittier movie, that's what it would mean. She's got access to a lot of information that only the killer would know. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Crawford, is it true? Are you Buffalo Bill? <laughs> <laughs> uh, You're failing FBI school. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> you know what? Never mind. I had a job for you, but that's okay. I'll get someone else. It's all right. I'll get the janitor. Go, to go. Get, get Ardelia in here. I'll, she needs more to do in this movie. <laughs> she needs a lot more to do. Um, yeah, so Jack Crawford comes in, played by, as you said, one of my all-time favorites, Scott Glenn. Mm-hmm. And Jack Crawford is the head of the behavioral sciences division at the FBI. And right. he's in, so he's in charge of investigating Buffalo Bill, but he tells Starling that the job he has for her doesn't have anything to do with Buffalo Bill. He actually just no. w- wants her to go and interview. She wants him. She wants her to go to the creepiest place on earth and uh, interview the scariest man on the planet. Yeah, or or as as Jack introduces him in a wonderful bit of understatement, the psychiatrist Hannibal Lecter. Like, he totally undersells it, you know? Way to gloss over all of the important stuff. <laughs> and, you know, and she, you know, she... Renowned world leader Hitler. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> the former chancellor of Germany, Adolf Hitler. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but of course, you know, Starling Starling knows who Lecter is. and Yeah, and, of course. And she asks, she actually says, she says, does this have anything to do with Buffalo Bill? And Crawford's like, what? Don't be ridiculous. Shut up. Don't ever, th- don't ever think that. It has nothing to do with yeah. Buffalo Bill. Shut up. Nothing. You're just going there, you're going to ask them some questions, and then you're going to do a report. Yeah. And the director's going to read the report, and it better be good. <laughs> now, put on some sexy clothes and go talk to the yeah. psychopath. Yeah, I mean, and he tells her, he says, he says, you know, don't tell him anything personal. Yeah, don't, you don't want him in your head. Yeah. So she's like, okay, sounds great. And she goes next week. The end. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and she comes back the next day, and she says, well, I talked to Lecter. It went pretty well. Here's the report. All right. Yeah, thanks, darling. I got, I got crazy cum on my face. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, boss. Thanks, boss. <laughs> hey, you know what? I wanted to... I, I, remember that job I asked you about after I graduate? Never mind. We're, we're jumping ahead. <laughs> she goes to the... She goes to the... Uh, insane Asylum. Yeah. What state is this in? Steve? It's in my very own home state of Maryland. Wow! In Baltimore, you know what? Maryland. This does not make Maryland look good. Does no, it, it does. It's, it doesn't put Maryland's best foot forward. Um, you, but nope. yeah, she goes to the Baltimore. It's called the Baltimore State Forensic Hospital, um, mm-hmm. and she meets Doctor Chilton. 
Yep. Who is and he's a creep? He, who takes an 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 inordinate amount of delight in describing to her what a horrible monstrous psychopath Hannibal Lecter is. And he hits on her. And he hits on her. And he's a creep. Yeah. And I really hope that a cannibal eats his face off at some point. Yeah, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he's like, okay, well, let's go see him. Let's go into the red-lit terror basement in Horror Hospital. <laughs> yes, let's, let's descend into the dungeon where I keep him. That's right. Let's, let's go into the monster cave, because there's not a modern hospital that would have walls like this. <laughs> They're made out of stone. and the- They're carved out of... Oh. Lecter literally... His cell is literally a cave. Yeah. He's Grendel. He lives in a cave under the ground. Yeah. But, you know, as bad as it seems down there, Barney, the the lead uh, orderly, seems nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And encouraging. He says things like, stay away from the bars, and uh, I got a mop, just in case. (laughs) There's a guy down there. He's a little weird. He should have given her a face shield. Yeah. Yeah, because what happens is, you know, Barney says, okay, just, you know, stick to the one side of the hallway, and I put a chair out for you, and just do what Dr. Chilton said, you know? And she's like, okay. And she, he opens the gate, and she walks down this long, the, the, this hallway of like Arkham Asylum psychopaths. Yeah, yeah. And, and they're all like, and there's this one guy named uh, Mig- Miggs. Miggs, yeah. And he's like, I, I can smell, I can. You say it. Steve. I say, I'll say it the way Miggs says it. I, okay. I can smell your cunt. Gross. It's bad. He's bad and crazy. I do like the way Starling just totally no-sells it, though. She's like, yeah, whatever. Keeps on walking. <laughs> and now we meet our hero. Oh, wait. He's not a hero. <laughs> According to some people. According to some people, he's the greatest guy in the world. <laughs> we meet Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. And he's erudite. Yeah. And uh, well-spoken. Educated. Yeah. He has uh, eyes that burn straight through your soul <laughs> into the back wall. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, she says, hey, I'm here to interview you. And he's like, no, you're not. You're stupid. And he's like, no, no, really. Your ID's fake. Blah, blah. Get out. Yeah. You got bad shoes. You got a cheap purse. I I know everything about you already. I hate you. Yeah. Your dad probably molested you and stuff. So the interview doesn't go very well. Yeah. It gets worse when she leaves. Yeah, she she's like, okay, well, the hell with this, because he refuses to fill out her questionnaire, and she's just leaving. Yeah. And then Miggs has a little present for her that he passes through Miggs the bars. <laughs> Did he craft, like, a little chair out of, like, bits of garbage? And he's like, uh, I'm suffering here. I see no daylight. No, no, he does, he, he does make something for her. Oh, um, what? Well, well, what he does is... <laughs> Migs masturbates and then he flings his semen on Clarice's face. Oh, that's what okay. he does. And and oh. and somehow because Lecter has glass, he doesn't have bars, so he can't see out of yeah. his cell or around a corner, but I guess he just knows Migs that well. He knows what Migs just did. He has a remarkable sense of smell. Yeah, well, that's true. He's like, "Oh, I know what Migs just did." <laughs> yeah. So he I mean, he can smell he, he says he can't smell her c-word, but he can smell that she uses perfume yeah. on days that she's not wearing right. it and can identify her skin cream by smelling through the little holes on the plexiglass cage that he's in. Yeah, so what? so when when Miggs, you know, gives Clarice his his little present that he made for her. Yeah. Uh yeah. Lecter all of a sudden is is yelling for Clarice to come back. Yeah. So she And he's like, "Hey, guess what? I'm kind of like a crazy cannibal riddler." <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Ex- I, I talk in r- riddles. You need to go find um, Moffat. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah, right? seek out uh, Miss Moffat. 
and he says yeah. she's a pa- she's a former patient of mine, and that'll give yeah. you a clue as to what you're looking for. Now you go while I totally mind fuck this dude. Exactly. So now we go to the oh, then she has a little cry in her car. Yeah, because the talk with the lector triggered um, flashbacks. Of her dad. Yeah, and she has a little, yeah, she has a little, like, memory of when she was a little girl and her father, who was, like, a local sheriff coming yeah. home, and they have, like, a nice little, you know, how how was your, how was your day, daddy, and, you know. It was nice that her flashback kind of drifted off and watched a car drive down the street. That was good. <laughs> it's very, it's very artful. Her flashbacks are very yeah. artful, yeah. Yeah. She has, she has an independent director in her brain that, that directs her, her flashbacks. Yeah, exactly. She was like, that was a really good fade out in that flashback at the end. <laughs> Now we cut to the self-storage place of gross stuff. <laughs> yeah. Where are we, Steve? Uh, yeah, it's it's we're we're still in Baltimore, uh, and yeah. it's it turns out that the riddles that he put out was that what did he say? Well, he it's, he he told her he gave her the name Miss Moffat, and then he said, "Look deep within yourself." And Clarice thought, right. "Well, that's a little corny." I don't think he he must have meant something else by that. So she figures out mm-hmm. that there's a place just outside of Baltimore called Yourself Storage. Yeah. Holy U-Haul, Batman! Yeah, exactly. And and that one of one of <laughs> yourself self storage. <laughs> and that one of the storage units was was rented in the name of Miss Moffat, Hester Moffat. Yeah, Hester Moffat. So she's like, let me so go see this. Yeah, there. she gets inside. There's a bunch bunch of stuff in there. A bunch of bunch of stuff like a car <laughs> yeah and inside the car there's a lady kind of yeah who has a, her head in a jar yeah there's a yeah exactly and uh there's a human head there's in a, a jar, human head, head preserved has... in alcohol in a jar yeah and she's like oh she rushes back to the insane asylum and uh now hannibal lecter and her play let's make a deal yeah where he's like, I'll help you with Buffalo Bill if I can. You can make arrangements for me to get out of here because I'm never. I know I'm never getting out of prison, and I would like to see the sun again. Deal. <laughs> <laughs> but now we have to hard cut to how to kidnap a girl, where James Gum shows you how to use sympathy and a creepy van to kidnap almost anybody. <laughs> uh, and, and don't forget the night vision goggles. Oh, yeah. That he doesn't so, really need in the brightly lit parking lot, but we need to establish that he has yeah. those because they're important for later. He just likes wearing them. <laughs> they were expensive, you know? He wants to use he, them. He tricks this girl named Catherine Martin to help him load a... a, a it's like a big... Mattress? Yeah, it's like, no, it's a chair. It's like a big, cushy chair. Yeah, a big chair. Mm. And he's got a fake cast on his arm, and he's like, Oh, I can't do this. Why? <laughs> Won't yeah. well, somebody help me? And she shouldn't have known something was up, because the minute she can I help you? He goes, Yeah, that would be Yeah, yeah be sure. put, it, put it in the... Get, put it in the... Get in the back of the van. Get, get, get in the van. <laughs> that, that's good. And then he knocks her unconscious and cuts the back of her shirt off, and he's like, oh, I'm a creepy guy. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. And just when you, just after all your skin's crawled off your body, <laughs> we, cut to, we cut to Starling, who's in uh, beating up a blue mat class. <laughs> yeah. And did you notice that she's the only one with a mat? Everybody else has boxing gloves. Yeah. Like, everybody beat up Starling. <laughs> Everyone beat up Starling. Knock her down. She's got the blue mat. <laughs> <laughs> but now she gets called away to help investigate a Buffalo Bill type situation. Yeah. Which is exactly what the, That's what the guy, guy says. says. Looks like it might be a Buffalo Bill type situation. 
Mm-hmm. Cool. I say it all the time. My wife wants me to shut up. <laughs> Last night she served she she served me chick, skinless chicken breast, and I looked down at it. And I said, "Honey, this looks like a Buffalo Bill type situation on my plate." Harvey and she threw up because she's seen she's seen the crime scene photos. I'm not supposed to show those to people, but I do. I don't care. I'm kind of dead inside, Starlin. This is, I'm your future. I am your future now. <laughs> I used to want your job. Think about that. I watched a man kill another man with a live baby. <laughs> I ain't going to go much further into it. <laughs> but the light left my eyes at that point. Anyway, bye-bye. Have fun with the investigation. You've chosen one hell of a life for yourself, young lady. <laughs> now, if you don't mind, I'm going to crawl underneath the helicopter and weep a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so she <laughs> she goes with Crawford to uh, Clay County, West Virginia. Yeah, but first she has like another flashback or dream where she sees her dad at the funeral. Oh, yeah, let's see. Yeah, they, they they arrive in West Virginia, and they're meeting the local law enforcement at the funeral yeah. home because that's where the, the body of this woman that they found and has been taken. And she confronts Crawford a little bit because she's like, you set me up to go there to get information on, but you didn't include me. And he's like, if I had told you, he would have figured it out and never would have talked to you. She's like, it's still a dick move. And he's like, shut up. <laughs> I'm smart. I'm smart and you're dumb. Leave me alone. And she's like, oh, it's a good thing that I think you're like a father figure. And he's like, yeah, whatever. I'm not your dad. Leave me alone. <laughs> I creepy. I didn't ask for this. Next time you say daddy and hug me in the middle of a corridor at FBI headquarters, <laughs> I, you're out. <laughs> you're history, kid. It's bad enough that Mulder does that. <laughs> you can join Johnson underneath the helicopter for his hour-long cry. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then when they get to the funeral home, he pulls a little bit of a sexist card out because he he later tells her that he was just using it as an excuse to sort of get rid of the sheriff. But when they show up, it's him and Starling and like twenty five male deputy sheriffs all crowded into the room, all just kind of standing around. Standing around looking yeah, at and stuff. and the the sheriff, I guess, starts to talk to Crawford about the body they found, and Crawford kind of yeah. stops him and says, he basically says, we shouldn't talk about this in front of the you know what, and kind of looks at, at, yeah. at Clarice. Women don't know nothing about anything gross. Yeah. It's not like they have to push out a watermelon-sized baby and, like, half their guts come out when they (laughs) do it. It upsets the female tempers. It's not like every month they have to deal with some stuff that would make most men faint if blood came out of their penis. And not just blood, stuff that looks like tissue. <laughs> I know that for me, if I saw that, I'd probably pass out. Yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, um, they, 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 they and they. You guys did come here to investigate a murder, right? No, I'm not done about men having a having a period. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, I don't want she the girl says, to hear any of this. So, yeah, and that's when she has her flashback to her dad's funeral. Mm-hmm. All right, okay, I mixed it up the plot. I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. But now it's time for super autopsy time, where we find more gross Yay! stuff. Yay! Hey, people and love they, procedure. And we we find out, hey, if you want to do something completely ineffective to the stink of a body that's been found in a river, why don't you rub some noxema under your nose? <laughs> it doesn't seem to do much of anything. And also, they're wimps because the, the, the mortician guy doesn't no, do No, he's used to it. He's like, this is the third one of these today. <laughs> this smells like money to me, boys. Money! <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> I hope that Buffalo Bill dumps more bodies right outside of town. <laughs> <laughs> they determined that she had been shot. Yeah. They flip her over, oh, and then they start taking pictures all over the place, and they take a picture in, inside of the woman's mouth, and they go, oh, there's something in her mouth, and they fish it out, and it's 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 uh, a, a cocoon. Yeah, it's a, from, a, from a moth. 
Yeah. 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 And uh, then they're all done for the day, and they're all resting. And they're like, we had a good day of poking out a dead body. <laughs> and that's when Clarice tells him, look, you asshole. You made me look weak in front of all those guys, and that's not cool, okay? You could have just told him, get out. Yeah. <laughs> I'll arrest all of you. We're the FBI. <laughs> We're in charge, you bunch of yokels. And I see a whole room full of cops that are going to become communists in a second <laughs> exactly. if hey, you don't leave. <laughs> Andy Griffith, you and your army of Barneys, get the fuck out, okay? <laughs> I, army of Barneys. I, you, you need a college degree to get my job. You know what I'm saying? Take a walk. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, now it's time to meet the bug nerds. Yeah, Clarice takes the the bug cocoon that they found in the dead woman's throat, and she takes it to the Smithsonian. Not just any old science lab, but the Smithsonian. No. Yeah, and there's a couple of nerds yeah. playing chess with insects. Yeah, because that's what they do. Yeah, and then they identify uh, uh, the the bug. Yeah, which is uh, death's head. The moth. death's head moth, and and the important thing about it is that it's not native to this area. It had to be imported and carefully raised from Suriname. Yeah, and now we cut to a little slice of life of a serial killer. Ah, yeah. We see moths and goth music and a captive girl in a pit screaming, uh, naked sewing, <laughs> and that's pretty much it. He's got full life done. Yeah, he, that's Steve? that's just you know if the, he has. His hobbies all around him. He's surrounded by work that means something to him. I mean, yeah. we should all be so lucky as Buffalo yeah. Bill. He seems so happy, doesn't he? He has a dog. <laughs> he has a dog, precious. Loves his dog. Oh, yeah. Now we come back to the insane asylum, and Dr. Children has a problem with how much attention Hannibal is getting in, there, <laughs> doesn't he? Yeah, well, because he, he's, he's, Clarice has come back to make Lecter like the official offer that if he helps... Uh, well, no, if we, I think we missed some. We, we, they established that the woman who was kidnapped is the daughter of Senator Martin. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and so she's like, hey, you help with the case, and Senator Martin will send you here um, to this island once, once a year. It'll be great. And um, he says, okay. And now Hannibal and, uh, and Clarice play Quid Pro Quo, or Quid Quo Pro, <laughs> the newest game show for lunatics. Yeah, exactly. Well, because Hannibal's, he seems like, at first he seems interested in the in the deal that Clarice offers him, but then he's like, oh, you're going to send me, the, the, like, the beach you want to give me to walk on one one week a year is on the same island as an animal research hospital. Like, uh, Disease animal, yeah, yeah. disease research. Uh, so, But then he hits on, he says, look, I'll help you, but, you know, from now on, like, never mind the deal, it's going to be, I'll tell you something, and then you tell me something about yourself right and clary says okay and she's like okay <laughs> jack crawford specifically warned me against doing this but okay yeah and so she answers some personal questions yeah about the i'm gonna sneeze <laughs> oh my god excuse me it's dusty in this cell. um <laughs> so uh yeah she answers some she answers think... some questions about the death of her father uh-huh yeah. but uh-oh chilton is recording everything oh that yeah. that that dastardly fiend, and because what and uh, I, well, I guess we don't come back around to that yet. But uh, Chilton recording it winds up being somewhat important. Um, yeah, it does. But now we got to cut to James Gum, and we learn some important things about James Gum. Number one, he loves his dog. He sure does. And and number two, soft skin is really important when you're at the bottom of an unfinished well. <laughs> yeah, because he it's that scene, Steve. He he, he lowers. <laughs> his captive Catherine some some lotion in a in a basket yeah he, you know he he requests encourages her to he put encur- it on her skin he encourages her to put it on and once she has put it on he encourages her to place the lotion in the basket 
That's and right. when she refuses to do that, that's when things get a little ugly. Yeah, yeah. just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, just a little bit. I can understand his frustration. Yeah, he just he wants his lotion back. How is he going to make his human suit <laughs> if she doesn't, number one, lose weight because he's starving her, and number two, if her skin's all ruined? Exactly. Can we, you have to see things from his perspective. Mm-hmm. That's also Please. when he lowers it down, there's a light, and yeah. she sees that people have tried to crawl out of the thing. Yeah. Cheat that. That's a little upsetting. And then he mocks her a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think he's trying to lighten the mood, trying to get her to laugh. <laughs> ah! <laughs> hey, it's funny. I'm doing you. Look, look, look I'm doing you. Ah, this no, is you. We're friends. Friends mock each other like this. Friendly. Oh, come on, precious. I'm just trying to connect with another person. And then we come back to the insane asylum, and uh, we're reminded once again, oh yeah, Chilton's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he. Well, what what had happened was when Clarice made the original offer to Hannibal, that was just a bluff from Jack Crawford. They actually hadn't made a deal with the senator yet. Crawford nope. was just hoping that Hannibal would tell them something, you know, that they, yeah. that they could use. But then Chilton, when he found that out, he went to Senator Martin and he made his own deal, mm-hmm. so that he would be involved. Uh, and he's got uh, Lecter all strapped up. Yeah, and he's like, "You're going to do this, or I'll—you'll never see daylight ever again." And and he's also uh, look at my awesome ink pen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have an ink pen. I have a look. beautiful gold ink pen, and it's my favorite thing in the world. I, I put it in my mouth. I gesture with it. I love it. His name's Goldie. <laughs> Everybody noticed my. I'm just going to put it down right over here, just for a second. Every time I authorize torture on you, Hannibal, I sign it with Goldie the ink pen. <laughs> I love you, Goldie. <laughs> I love you too. Oh, see, Goldie said he loves me. Say you love Goldie, Hannibal. No, say it. I love you, Goldie. <laughs> oh, I hate you. Oh, Goldie. <laughs> Goldie, he doesn't like it when people are rude to him. <laughs> I really hope people watch this movie before we do this. Wait, is that is that talking ink pen bit real? <laughs> What tangent are they on now? Um, this is going to be like that Bull Durham shit again, isn't it? <laughs> Goldie and Spalding are at a bar. <laughs> yeah, and then he just kind of retires and he fucks this woman for the rest of his life. It doesn't need me. <laughs> oh, wait till you hear what happened to my guy. <laughs> he doesn't have a face anymore. <laughs> oh, I sure am glad I got away from that situation. <laughs> um, yeah, but so so Hannibal. <laughs> and the the scene ends with Hannibal. Hannibal basically has no choice. The beach ball. <laughs> the beach ball from Castaway rolls up. Hey guys, am I late for happy hour? <laughs> Wilson, <laughs> come on. Okay. okay. So the scene, the, the scene that Hannibal says basically he has no choice but to accept. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm still thinking of this. <laughs> it's okay. In the corner, there is the tire from Rubber. If you've never seen it, this makes no sense. <laughs> like, stay away from that guy. He makes people explode. <laughs> well, could, have you seen Rubber? Well, I have never seen Rubber. It's 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 enjoyable. I was it really about it. It's about a guys. If you haven't seen Rubber, I'm going to do a recommendation in the middle of this thing. <laughs> Go find Rubber. It's a really weird movie um, about a discarded tire that kills people. <laughs> it rolls around and it kills people with some sort of psychic thing. 
if we were gonna really, if we were gonna yeah, keep like, adding inanimate objects to the group, I was gonna suggest Roy Hobbs's bat from the natural. <laughs> it could come rolling in after it's broken. Yeah, the Wonder Bat. You've had you've you've seen better days, Wonder Bat. Hello, how? <laughs> I told him he shouldn't have used me at bat every time. I was homemade. I wasn't made for this. R two D two and C three PO try to come in. No, not them. No. We don't want their kind here. They're animate. They're sentient. <laughs> They're not allowed. We're just. This is only for objects. Oh, R2, we're not wanted anywhere. <laughs> You're right. Let's find the bridge. <laughs> we don't serve their kind here. <laughs> okay, that's it. Okay. We're done. Okay. Inanimate object bar over. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Because so, we got to cut to Roger Corbin. That's, oh, Because he's in this for some he reason. Ha- he has one scene where he, he scolds Jack Crawford for... for okay, well, yeah, okay, for the fake offer. The, 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 the upside of the, the last Lecter-Chilton scene is that Lecter says he, he accepts Chilton's deal, but he'll only yeah. tell the name of Buffalo Bill when he's actually in Memphis, because the deal is he's yeah. being moved from... To Memphis. To Memphis, yeah. yeah. And uh, Roger Corman's like, he's the director, right? He's FBI director. Apparently, yeah, yeah. And he's like, Jack, what the fuck? Did you really bluff, try to bluff Hannibal Lecter? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, I'm Jack Crawford, I'm baller. Well, Dr. Chilton's fucked up your shit, man, and now he's, they've made another thing, and he's on his way to Tennessee. So now we cut to Hannibal in his famous getup, yeah. in a straitjacket, on a on a, ro- on a dolly. Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> He's strapped to a dolly, he's got a face mask on, and he meets the senator. And it's awkward. <laughs> but, I mean, to be fair, Hannibal does kind of make it awkward, you know? Well, I mean, he's just interested in her nipples. That's true. He, he, tells, he tells the senator about uh, Buffalo Bill. He says that he tells yeah. her that his real name is Lewis Friend and that he was yeah. once the lover of uh, Benjamin Raspell, which is the real name of Hester Moffat. Yeah, right. The guy, the yeah, guy yeah. whose head was in the jar. And, uh, but that Raspell had told Hannibal that he was scared because Bill had killed somebody and that he was really, you know, he was frightened for his life. Um, yeah. But then after that, he doesn't know like where he lives or what happened to right. him. Um, right. And we also have a very important scene here in which uh, Dr. Chilton has to sign for something. Oh, yeah. And he's like patting his pockets and he's like, where's Goldie? Uh-oh. Where's Goldie? Anybody- Goldie? <laughs> and- Goldie? And we... We cut in to hand. We push into Hannibal Lecter. It's one of my favorite shots in the whole movie, where like Chilton's like, "Where's my pen?" and the camera pushes like to an inch from Hannibal's face, and he's just like, Get it? he's just he's just looking around innocently, like, "I don't know where his pen's at." Don't look at me. What's a what's a pen? <laughs> so now Clarice visits Hannibal in his fancy new upscale cell that they put in the middle of the Capitol building for some reason. <laughs> it's like they cleared the state senate and put his put his cell right there in the middle of it right yeah what if they didn't want him to escape <laughs> mm-hmm. and they sit down and he's like hey we're playing quid pro quo pro remember and she's like oh fine fuck fine and he gets clarice to kind of explain the title of the movie yeah because at this point everyone's like what the fuck <laughs> where where are there even lambs in this there's moths but where's the lambs yeah exactly and then we find out what steve why, why is it called silence of the lambs because when Clarice's father died, she was sent to live with relatives on a sheep and cattle ranch, or sheep and horse ranch uh-huh. in Montana. And uh-huh. one morning after she had been on the ranch for a couple of months, she woke up 
early in the morning before the sun came up and she heard this awful screaming. Yeah. And she got out of bed to see what the screaming was. And it turns uh-huh. out the farmers were slaughtering the lambs. That's where lamb chops come from. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And she was just a kid at this point and it really freaked her out. Yeah. So she grabbed one of the lambs to mm-hmm. rescue it and she ran away. Yeah. And eventually she was caught and the lamb was taken back to uh, the farm and turned into lamb chops and she had to go live somewhere else. And, yeah. and Hannibal says uh and you still hear them screaming sometimes don't you and you think that if you can just save poor Catherine, then you won't have to hear that terrible screaming of the lambs and clarice is basically like yeah that's it that's it you got yeah it. yeah you, you that's, nailed that's it it's a whole thing way to go great you're all the way in aren't you you're all the way in my head now <laughs> fantastic but uh-oh someone shows up Dr. Chilton has found out that Clarice snuck in to see Hannibal, so he comes, you know, sweeping in with some of the guards, and he's like, mm-hmm. all right, get, get out. out. But before she can leave, Hannibal hands her the case files. Yeah. And he very, very briefly touches her finger when he does it. Yes. Just a little caress. Yeah. Yeah. And she leaves, yep. and now it's time for a completely different movie. <laughs> <laughs> because now we're going to do... Hannibal Lecter's Great Escape. <laughs> yes. And he just sat there and he said, okay, what? Do, let's take inventory. What do I got? I've got a piece of a pen that I've lodged in my throat and a whole bunch of people to kill. Let's do this the grossest way I can possibly think of. I've got it. Yeah. And so what he does is he orders a second second dinner of lamb chops because he's funny that way. <laughs> he's got a sense of humor. Come on. They handcuff him to the, the, the bars of the cage. He takes out the little piece of pen that he had uh, tucked away somewhere in his sinus cavity or in his throat or you know, yeah. somewhere. He picks the locks of his cuffs. He handcuffs one of the guards and um, then bites the face off of the other guard. <laughs> and and sprays him. him with mace. Yeah. Then he picks up a billy club and he beats the other guard to death. Listens to some music. <laughs> <laughs> Just relaxes for a bit, you know. Takes, a, takes pen, a breather. Takes a pen knife and walks off. And now we, got a, we cut to the cops down in the lobby who's like, this is the easiest thing we've ever done. This is like the greatest job we've ever had. He's just up there. No problems, nothing. Right, guys? We're getting easy pay for this. <laughs> Hannibal Lecter, whatever. We should guard super intelligent serial killers all the time. That's right. Fuck. And then they hear gunshots. Uh-oh. They're like, uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. They go up to where Lecter is being kept, and they find a mannequin strapped to the cage <laughs> with its guts all out. Oh, yeah. Hannibal was busy before he fired those gunshots. To Hannibal was yeah. up to some hijinks, is what he was. He, he's 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 very he's clearly very fit for his age. Yeah, they get in there and like, I want to throw up. One guy is so upset that he sits down. Yeah. And uh, they find the other officer laying there. He's all cut up and yeah. bleeding. And that's where we, we, we mentioned it before. He's like, talk to him. What am I supposed to say? It's Jim Pembry, damn it. Talk to him. It's my fa- I don't know why that yeah. is my favorite line in this movie. Well, and you know, that the same that same character, he also, when when they when they break in, and they, they break into the room in like cop formation with everybody yeah. pointing their guns in different directions like Cagney mm-hmm. and Lacey or something. And uh, and he that's the same character who notices the guy that's been hung and gutted yeah. on the on the, and he he goes oh god <laughs> and there's something about the way that actor says that line he doesn't have a whole lot of lines but boy he's doing it's a great memorable. job in this yeah. movie and oh, he's got it, a weird mustache <laughs> <laughs> yes he does it's like straight across his face <laughs> 
Anyways, so uh, they're like, let's get Pembry out of here because uh, he's still alive and ambulances are called. And uh, the SWAT team shows up, and for whatever reason, Chris Isaac, the singer, is like the lead SWAT dude. Yeah, he's he's the SWAT team captain. Okay, guys, Chris Isaac was a popular singer back in the 90s. Yes. <laughs> so I guess that was for all the teenage girls. They're like, exactly. Ah. Um, and and he knew because they had called the SWAT team to the scene. He yeah. knew that somewhere inside that building, Baby had done a bad bad thing. Oh god damn it! <laughs> anyway, so they get Pembry onto a stretcher and they wheel him out because he's starting to crash. Yeah, and they're all in the elevator, and then they see blood dripping down from the top of the elevator, and they're like, "Oh, Lecter's, <laughs> and our fa- Lecter's and- <laughs> on top of this." <laughs> our favorite character says he's on the roof of the elevator. Well, first, he's talking on the thing. He says, okay, we've got everything locked down from three all the way down. We're going to check two. And then they see the blood, and he's looking up. And the other guy on the other side is like, what's going on? And he's like, we're going to check two, and I'm I'm pretending that everything's normal. <laughs> and then as soon as he's not a foot away from the freaking elevator when he goes, he's on the roof. Go up there and kill him. Which I'm <laughs> sure the person in the elevator could have heard, but okay. Yeah. Huh. So SWAT guys go up there, they look down the elevator shaft, and they see a body laying face down on top of the elevator. And it looks like Hannibal. It's in Hannibal's clothes. Yeah, it looks like he's been shot. Yeah. And they're like, warn him. And they're like, Hannibal, put your hands behind your head, okay? Or, uh, what do we do? I don't know. Shoot him in the leg. Say please. Okay. Please? (laughs) (laughs) Now shoot him in the leg? Okay. Just just shoot him 15 times. Who cares? <laughs> He's a fucking serial killer. <laughs> they shoot him in the leg. There's no movement. And so they undo the latch on the inside of the elevator, and a body flops down. Yep. Right? And then we smash cut to the ambulance. The ambulance. And the thing we already knew, I mean, the surprise is that the body sits up, takes the bandages off its face, then takes the face off its face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it turns out it's Hannibal. He's <gasps> playing... He was cosplaying as a policeman. <laughs> he did the old wear the cop's face to escape trick. Yeah. <laughs> and then we smash cut again to uh, Adele, Adira, Adar, Adrid, girl Ardel- who has nothing Ar- to do in this movie. Ardelia. Yeah, running. And she's like, okay, Hannibal Lecter's escaped. He's killed like a, b- a billion people. He he got to an airport and, and like he killed everyone on the ambulance, and then he killed somebody in the airport and he got his money and his plane ticket. No one knows where he is. And <laughs> Clarice is like, oh, he he won't come after me. He'll think it's rude. We're, I'm we're probably best- fine. We're besties. He's another. Okay, look, he's another father figure. Okay, <laughs> we have an understanding. Yeah, I gravitate towards father figures. Guys are about twenty years older than me that seem smart. Why are you looking at me like that? Well, I, <laughs> I haven't lost my objectivity. <laughs> I know, Ardelia, I know he's a serial killer. Okay, you don't have to tell me. I know he's a serial killer. But she he holds is up really a binder smart. that says Clarice Hart Hannibal. <laughs> what? Oh, I mean, he's you, you didn't talk to him, okay? You wrote nine pages in which you wrote Clarice Lecter. <laughs> have you been reading my private notebook? No. (laughs) That is none of your business. That is for a case that Jack Crawford asked me, as in not you, to work on. So So she's there now reading the case file, right? Yeah, and this is the case file that she got from Lecter, and it has some of Lecter's notes that he made for Clarice in it. 
Yeah, and that leads her to go to Ohio. Yeah, because they fig- they figure out based on something, some things that Lecter told her, and some other little details in the case that it's most likely that Buffalo Bill was like actually personally knew his first victim. Right, and so they go to the victim's hometown, and right. she talks to some people, um, and then she goes to the victim's house, and she manages to find things that you would think the first FBI sweep would have found, but I guess they didn't. Man, and those Ohio FBI agents don't give a shit. Yeah, they <laughs> just cash in a check. Some creepy pictures of her, and then they, she sees that there's a dress, the unfinished dress. She was a seamstress, and the pattern that's on the dress is the same pattern that we saw on the gross girl that they fished out of the river. Yeah. And she calls Jack Crawford, and she's like, look, he's a seamstress. He's stuff. I found stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack is yeah, yeah go ahead you go well Jack is like yeah we know calm down we we figured out who he is we didn't do it the way you did it we just we just did a background check <laughs> mm-hmm. and found guys who ordered those creepy moths and we know yeah. who it is and he lives outside of Chicago so we're going there now so don't worry about it but as long as you're in that town where the first victim is from maybe you should ask around and see if we can link him to his first victim yeah she's like okay I'll keep talking to people but now we have to cut to Back to the awful house where James Gum lives. Yes, the murder and basement of murder. Catherine has formulated a great plan to escape in which she's tied a chicken bone to the bucket and she's trying to lure Precious the dog towards the bucket so that she could get the dog. Right, because her plan is to mm-hmm. enrage the serial killer <laughs> by endangering yeah. his the only thing he loves. And you would think that James Gum would have noticed this, but he's too busy doing a fun dance for his YouTube channel. Yeah. Because um, he turns on a video camera and he does something that burns into everybody's head. Yeah, it's it's one of the shots in the movie that you probably don't forget. <laughs> Where he does a little dance and he tucks his man parts between his legs. and So he can look like yeah. a girl. He looks like a girl. Because what we didn't establish, what we haven't mentioned, is the reason why they think Bill is doing this, and that is because Buffalo Bill hates himself through years of childhood abuse he thinks that he is a transsexual but he's not but he's not and he is uh, the pathology is such that he is now making we know this because we've seen the gross stuff he's making a suit for himself like a yeah. like a woman's suit a woman's suit out of real women yeah because as Clarice puts it he's applied to several sex reassignment surgery places and they've all rejected him probably because he started doing really bad things during the interview. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> look, look, I'm going to show you what I look like as a woman. No, <laughs> he starts no, playing, dude. starts playing the music. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Gum, please sit down. Please, oh my God. <laughs> just, just tell me if you would fuck me or not. <laughs> he goes, I would. I would fuck me. <laughs> I'd fuck me so hard. <laughs> and then the doctor, he has like a big red stamp that says denied <laughs> and he slams it onto his file. Several times. Yeah. <laughs> No. <laughs> um, and uh, now we have some clever cutting where they cut yes. to the FBI people coming to this house on the outskirts of Chicago. And we cut to the interior of the thing where James Gunn has discovered that Catherine was successful in getting the dog. And she's like, let me the fuck out of here or I'm breaking this dog's neck. And he starts freaking the fuck out. Yeah. And he runs over and he go, oh, no. Jamie got his hand cannon out from underneath his Nazi quilt. Yes. And he, oh, by the way, he's a Nazi too. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Or at least he likes Nazi symbols. Oh, yeah, because that's a meaningful distinction. He likes the aesthetic. I don't think he <laughs> thinks that he would be accepted by any either neo or traditional Nazis. Let's not be unfair to him. He's not full on Nazi. He just no. likes the Nazi aesthetic. I don't think Jim Gunn could possibly get into any Nazi party. <laughs> don't be stupid. Be a smarty. You'll never join the Nazi party. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, so I, uh, but then his super scary doorbell rings. <laughs> yes, he, he even has a murder doorbell that like glows light green. Goes off. Yeah, and it sounds more like electricity arcing through the air. <laughs> oh, someone's at the door. And then we cut back to the FBI, and they break in, and the house is empty. And Jack Crawford looks up and says, "What, Steve?" <gasps> Clarice. And it turns out that the doorbell that's actually being rung at the actual James Gunn house, who is it? It's Clarice. Oh. She's still in Ohio, which is where James Gunn actually is. Fooled ya. Yeah. And he's the like, movie fooled you. He's like, why don't you come in and um, I'll get you a, a number of the person who used to own the house. And she's like, okay, you're not creepy at all. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> she goes inside. And what does she see, Steve? Uh, well, she sees a moth flying around. Yeah? Uh, just any old moth? Boring. Uh, one of them death's head moths. Uh-oh. And, and those she's are like, super rare. Yeah, and she's like, whoa. So, <laughs> when, when, you know, he, he looks away for a second, and she really yeah, quickly, like, Yeah, she's like, like what's that over there? <laughs> and he's like, huh? And she unclips her thing. Yeah. <laughs> and she wants to use his phone. He thinks that's real funny. <laughs> Sure, you can use my phone. <laughs> you want to go into the pit me. with the girl too? <laughs> <laughs> Let me put on my woman suit. Oh, I've been talking out loud again. Oh shit! <laughs> she knows it's me. <laughs> but before she can get the drop on him, he runs off. Yep. And he runs down into his super gross basement of absolute evil, and she goes after him. <laughs> Yes, without finds, calling 911. Yeah, and she goes down there and she finds Catherine, and Catherine is not supportive. No, <laughs> Catherine is, I mean, understandable how upset Catherine is, but you know. No, come on, she FBI is, woman's there. She's like, go get it. She could be like, go get him. I believe in you. Instead, she's like, you fucking bitch, come back here. I know there's no way you could get me out of here without a winch, but come on. <laughs> Uh, so she's crawling around and she busts into a bathroom what does she find oh no wait first she stumbles on his laboratory of awfulness yeah where he takes the skin parts and makes them into leather and then she busts into the bathroom and yeah someone's been in the tub too long yeah there's a there there's a a rather significantly decomposed corpse in a bathtub which we assume would be the previous owner of the house the old lady yeah mrs lipman yeah but before we can process that, what happens? <gasps> the lights go out. Oh, no. Darn. And then we get our first taste of night vision move cinema. Yeah, baby. What has become the standard of uh, found footage film Yeah, is in this movie, in which we have the POV of, of Buffalo Bill with his night vision goggles on. And uh, here's all the... He, he watches her and like reaches out a hand to touch her while she's panicking eyes wide and then what happens he he figures all right time to kill her yeah and he he pulls up his 357 magnum 
<laughs> and he points it at her, and she's still like clueless, just a couple feet away from him in the dark. And he pulls the hammer back. Yeah. And as he pulls the hammer back, Clarice hears the sound of it clicking, and she spins around immediately and just unloads on him. Yeah. And kills him. And breaks I guess a, a window. Yeah, stray bullet breaks a window to let some light in, and there you go. He's laying yeah. on the floor, choking up blood, and pretty soon he's dead. Yeah, he's dead. Bye, Jane. So yeah, we're <laughs> couldn't to happen to a nicer point. guy. Jane, Jane Gum dies. Catherine lives. Um, she, I guess she adopts Precious. They seem. They, I, I think they bonded under a stressful situation. You know. Can I ask you a question, Steve? If mm-hmm. you were held captive and that was the dog of the person that was going to shoot you and skin you, would you want that dog's got to be fucked up? <laughs> yeah, probably. That's going to be a dog that has a three hundred mile stare. <laughs> No matter how happy you make the dog, it's going to become a spooky dog. Yeah, the dog has seen things. You can't you can't undo that. The first week when you don't bring home a woman to kill and skin, it's going to freak out. It's going to be like anxious. That's its norm. <laughs> I was I thought it was weird at first how how nervous the dog got, but then I remembered it's used to the owner killing people. <laughs> <laughs> so once I made that adjustment, everything was fine. Anyway, Clarice graduates. And Hannibal goes on vacation. Pretty much, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we get a we get a, a final little scene with Clarice and Jack Crawford, where he shakes her hand and he says, "Your father would have been proud of you." Yep. Uh, and she gets a phone call, and yeah. it's Hannibal on the phone. Oh, by the way, who are their dates? Who is her and and Adele's dates? Or the Adelaide's <laughs> dates? The nerdy scientists from yeah, the, the bug scientists. lab at the Smithsonian. Yeah, 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 and. Uh, so she goes and picks, you know, it's Dr. Lecter That's right, on the phone. nerds. You can get someone as hot as Jodie Foster. Yeah. keep yeah. <laughs> just, just keep reaching for that rainbow. All you have to do is be bold. And, and when you're looking at a, a serial killer's bug pod, ask her out. Ask her if she likes to go and get burgers and beer. Yeah. It's easy. Yeah. There is no such thing as an inappropriate moment. Women like boldness. Just <laughs> not creepy boldness. They like confidence. <laughs> but not yeah. arrogance. Yeah. It's, it's a tightrope, guys. I, my, my heart goes out to you. <laughs> anyway so she's on the phone with hannibal and he's like sup <laughs> he said he asked her if the lambs have stopped screaming and she's like oh you oh, and, we have a and, rapport and he says look i'm not gonna come after you so how about you don't come after me and she says well i'm i don't know i might have to come after you i'm in the fbi i just graduated hannibal and you're asking me that now <laughs> i just took an oath jeez louise Okay, don't tell anybody, but okay, I, I won't come after you. Yeah, and then he drops a Schwarzenegger one-liner. Yeah. Because he says he sees uh, Dr. Chilton getting out of an airplane somewhere in Jamaica, I think. Yeah, somewhere in the Caribbean or something. It's Jamaica in the book. Yeah, oh, okay. And um, he goes, I'm, I'm, meeting, I'm having an old friend for dinner. Wah, wah. <laughs> Get it. Get it. And then... Uh, he hangs up on her and she says Dr. Lecter like 500 times because she doesn't know what it sounds like when a phone is hung up <laughs> and then we Hannibal puts his hat on and he's wearing an awful wig probably cut off somebody's body probably and he's wearing a nice little suit and uh, he follows Dr. Chilton into the crowd of Jamaica the end <laughs> yeah that's it oh yeah and off camera in an, uh, in the books he just disappears in Jamaica <laughs> We never get a scene of him killing anybody. No. You you no. assume that he caught up to Chilton and yeah. nature took its course eventually, but we don't yeah. actually see he that. Became, he became Hannibal's poop. But, 
Okay, Steve, we've reached the end of this thrilling thriller. Yes, yes, yes. Of gross, gross, gross stuff. What is your opinion of this thriller classic, The Silence of the Lambs? (laughs) Would it be weird if I told you it was one of my favorite movies? Not in the <laughs> slightest. Because, because it is. It is. We know your my... wheelhouse, Steve. Fuck it. We know your boat. Okay, <laughs> the boat is gray. Indifferent. <laughs> it's called the USS Indifferent Feelings. And it, whenever it takes to see storm clouds gather, they don't break all the way, but it always threatens to destroy the boat. <laughs> oh yes, yes. I suppose. Um... <laughs> I suppose. Your navigator is Werner Herzog. I I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies. And I will tell you why. Because everything we said about it, I mean, as we always do when we summarize it, we exaggerate some things. But, I mean, in general, the things that we were making fun of the movie for in our summary are true. I mean, it it is at times really gross and really dark. Uh-huh. And uh, and then at times also like oddly sort of corny because like Hannibal getting like the one liner at the end before he walks off. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, I don't know, there's something about the the performances and especially the way it's directed. I mean, I think mm-hmm. Jonathan Demme is a director that rarely gets his due uh, among in, in the no, general public. No, he hasn't really reached, you know, uh, cultural saturation like some other directors. No, but he is such a talented filmmaker and he really does some incredible things in this movie. Um, in many ways, it is not a subtle movie at all, but some of the things that Demi does are quite subtle and the way he sets things up early for later in ways that you don't even notice. Like, Mm -hmm. um, one of the, one of the, the signature shots in the movie is of, is just incredibly close close close-ups of actors faces. And he does this over and over. And he does this technique where he's cutting back and forth when he's doing a shot reverse shot. And when, when characters are talking, especially Clarice and Hannibal, where he cuts between shots where the actors are basically looking straight into the camera. Yeah. And he does that several times. So he, and then there are other moments where he uses like a subjective camera where we see things through Clarice's eyes. Mm -hmm. And so that way he's already got it set up. So at the end, when we see through Jane Gum's eyes, through his night vision goggles, like it doesn't feel gimmicky or like like a, a weird sort of technique because that's the way the film has been shot all along. And of course, it makes sense that we're seeing this scene through the killer's eyes because we've seen other scenes through some of the other characters' eyes. Yeah. Um, and I, I love the way uh, when the movie starts out, the set design is very, very realistic. When you go into the FBI office for the first time, Jack Crawford's office looks like just like a civil servant's office. Like it's, it's a cinder block office. It's a cinder block office. There's nothing. There's nothing too stylish or too creative. And then you get to the hospital where Hannibal is kept, and it's like a and it's dungeon. a monster basement. It, yeah, it's a <laughs> it's it is it's like a castle out of a monster movie, and mm-hmm. it's and and Clarice descends into it. It's like she mm-hmm. she descends from the upper world where she works, where there's just normal offices, down into this pit where Hannibal is kept, and then she repeats mm-hmm. that process at the end when she goes down into the the nightmare murder basement of, of Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Um, and I just I love stuff like that, and and that's the sort of thing that it doesn't necessarily beat you over the head with it but you if you notice it you appreciate it you know and mm-hmm. 
Um, so I think the direction is just uh, amazing. I obviously the performances have been have been praised ever since the movie came out. I think uh, Jodie Foster and Scott Glenn are amazing because they give such restrained performances. Mm-hmm. And then you have <laughs> Anthony Hopkins on the complete opposite end of that spectrum, mm-hmm. who who goes so far sometimes that he goes he comes so close to just becoming camp where it's like he, he he strikes just the right note because if he had gone a little bit further it would have been funny it would have been like oh come on you know but he yeah. nails just the perfect note and and in that first scene where he's lit just right and his eyes look like they're just solid black and he has that very that that malevolent sort of malevolent but polite grin on his face when he's talking to Clarice like He's being polite and he's a gentleman, but he could also tear her apart. Yeah, uh, it's just it's just phenomenal. The acting is phenomenal. Uh, the the screenplay is amazing. Uh, the setups and payoffs at the beginning and at the end. The way that that they are able through both the writing and the editing and the music by Howard Shore, which is fantastic. Which was not even nominated for best score this year, which was a fucking crime because um, <laughs> the score is amazing. Uh, and I, I think it needed to win more Oscars. That's what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> five wasn't enough. It needed more. Um, and, and, and the direction where Cl- when Clarice first goes to visit Hannibal, that's like in the first five, ten minutes of the movie. We don't yeah. know who she is yet. We have no idea who Hannibal is yet. We, we, because there's not a lot of exposition, we don't know exactly why she's there. And yet that scene builds such incredible tension. Mm-hmm. When she's on her way down to see Hannibal that first time, it's just amazing. Um, those two great fake outs where first it turns out Hannibal had the other guy's face on. And, you know, the first time you see the movie, you, by the time he actually takes the face off, you've probably got it figured out. Yeah. Um, and then the second fake out where it turns out they're not at the same house that Clarice is actually at Buffalo Bill's house. Um, yeah. Such ballsy storytelling choices where if that especially that second fake out where if, if that had not played just right, that could be the moment moment where the movie loses the audience mm-hmm. you know where you feel like you've been you've been lied to you know like oh wait yeah. a minute they, we thought that Crawford was supposed to be here and that's Clarice what you know it feels like because it, it, <laughs> it is a cheat I mean the 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 filmmaker just blatantly lies to you and makes you think that this that Buffalo Bill's house is here instead of somewhere else um, but it but they pull it off it works because the, the because the truth is better than what we were set up to believe we didn't really mm-hmm. want Jack Crawford to be the one to take down Buffalo Bill we wanted Clarice to be the one to take down Buffalo Bill. So when it turns out that, oh, shit, Clarice actually is at his house. It, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's a fake out, but it plays because that's what we want to happen. You know, yeah. uh, so it's 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 just one of my favorite movies. I love the way it's written. I love the way it's directed. I love the acting of the lead performances. Um, and I just I just think it's fantastic. I mean, uh, at at the time that it came out, it was protested for for negative portrayals of LGBT characters. Um, yeah, but if you had watched the movie, <laughs> yeah, the movie. I mean, and I I, I kind of see both sides of that. I mean, obviously, I'm 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 a fan of the movie. I've been gushing about mm-hmm. it for five minutes. Obviously, I'm a fan of the movie, but I can see. I, I can see why people would have seen this movie as part of a of a larger problem, and and in fact that is what Jonathan Demme himself said about it some years later. He said, you know, because he, he gave the 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 explanation of well, you know, we make it clear in the movie that Buffalo Bill is not trans that he thinks he is, but yeah. he's actually not. So we didn't mean for it to Unfortunately, be. Unfortunately, like, that's given to us from a crazy person. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and um, and 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 they even give. No, it's Clarice- okay because the cannibal psychopath that's locked in a crazy dungeon. 
Lounge and said that he wasn't so <laughs> exactly. Well, but they and they, they I noticed this time they do also give Clarice just a little line that if you're not paying attention, it'll go right oh, yeah. by you. Where she says, you know, there's no link in the literature between transgenderism and violence. You know, like mm-hmm. so at, at at during the the fleeting moments where the movie does directly address that issue, it makes it clear that this is not you know scary trans people coming to kill you. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the, I think a lot of the complaints at the time were that there were movies like this being made all the time and there along were no, with really negative portrayals yeah. of LGBT characters. Yeah. yeah, and there were no positive portrayals. And that and John that's what Jonathan Demme said a few years later. He said, you know, even though I defend my movie, I came to realize that there was a much larger problem of, you know, there's lots of movies with negative portrayals and there aren't nearly as many with positive portrayals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to acknowledge that and to acknowledge that people that at the time there were a lot of people who did have a problem with the movie because of that. Um, it doesn't prevent me from enjoying the movie. Uh, but you know, you can see it as part of that larger problem that existed at the time and still exists to somewhat of an extent today, although not nearly as much because there have yeah. been some, some, some vast improvements. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of my favorite movies. I think Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal even though I get that he's a that he's not a good guy, <laughs> I don't admire his character. I don't think of him as like someone worth emulating. Uh, I think he's terrifying, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a fantastic performance. He definitely deserved the Oscar, even though he was only on screen for what like ten minutes total. Uh, yeah, for lead. Yeah, for it was the smallest actor in amount a leading of, role. Yeah, smallest amount of screen time ever for anyone to win an Oscar for actor in a lead mm-hmm. role. Um, but he deserved it. I thought it was fantastic, and it it definitely holds up, especially when you watch the, the films that they made after this to sort of try to resurrect the Hannibal character. None of them quite ever measured up to the standard of this one. Um, and it's like I say, it's, just, it's one of my favorite films. I admire it tremendously. So there Is you go. it one of your favorite films, Steve? It's, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say this said now. it seven times. I'm going to say this right now. I'm going to say this right now. And I, I don't want there to be any mistake about this. It's one of my favorite films. Mm. Okay. okay, my turn? Do it. Okay. Go for it. Well, I'm, since I don't really know how Steve feels about the movie, let me just say this. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's pretty good. Steve. <laughs> it's not the worst um, movie I've ever seen. I saw this movie when it came out. Uh, I was 22 years old. And my initial reaction to the film when I first saw it was that it was exploitative. My initial reaction was I didn't get it. Uh-huh. I didn't understand the themes that were present. I concentrated on what was in the film that most a, lot, a number of other people were reacting to. I, I viewed that it was exploiting particularly um, grossness, semen, <laughs> <laughs> and that it and that it was a negative portrayal uh, of women. I literally completely missed the point of the film. I saw it again about 10 years later, and I went, oh, I'm stupid. (laughs) (laughs) It really painted it. I really came out of that film feeling like they were exploiting uh, a genre, and I I I didn't recognize what was in the film for a commentary on being a woman in the United States. Mm-hmm. I looked at it as a male, and that is, oh, look at all the men looking at her, and all the men in power, and all the men who have authority, and blah, 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 blah. Ten years later, when I watched the film, I finally saw what Jonathan Dummy was going after, and that is that it's more than just a movie about crazy people killing people, and that it was a commentary on being um, a woman um, in this country. Every the, the, 
the entire movie has statements about it throughout the film, and he films it in such a way. There, there are little scenes like when 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 Starling is just jogging down the track, and a group of men run past her. Yeah. Three of them look back and watch her run run past. Or when she gets on an elevator at FBI headquarters, and she's this tiny little woman, and she's standing, and she gets into an elevator full of these gigantic dudes who all look down at her, look down at her while she's in there. Um, all of the, 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 the times that she gets hit on. She gets hit on by Chilton in his office. She yeah. gets hit on by Nerdy Guy. She, this is a <laughs> character that isn't looking for romance. There is no romance subplot, okay? It's fairly well established that she has father issues because her daddy died when she was young, and she went off to go live, uh, go live in an orphanage eventually. Mm-hmm. And that's something that she's carrying around with her you know, for the rest of her life, I guess. And she <laughs> gravitates towards strong, older male characters. And the two stronger, older male characters are Jack Crawford, who is basically her boss, and Hannibal Lecter. A lot of people misread those in saying, oh, it's romance. Han- Le- the Hannibal Lecter himself actually brings it up, and he's like... And, and the way he brings it up when they're doing their little back and forth is he asks her if... He, if she thought that Jack Crawford fantasized about her, not if she fantasized about Jack Crawford. Yeah. The main character isn't looking for romance or anything like that. It was nice that she invited the boys to her graduation, whatever. <laughs> but the first time that I watched the film with all of these themes and all of these subtle knobs, Hannibal Lecter actually says, "What you know?" During the covet scene, he said, "What do we do when we covet?" And he asked her, "Don't you feel eyes crawling all over your body every day?" All of that stuff is in throughout the movie. Every, this movie is so full of metaphor and subtle hints to what it's actually talking about. And that is being a fe- woman in America <laughs> and having to deal with all of this shit on a daily basis. On top of the fact that there are also serial killers who are also <laughs> targeting women. And that prompts her action. I don't believe it's necessarily that she wants to keep... Phantom lambs in her head quiet. <laughs> the way that Jack interacts with her when when he when he uh, tells the cops to leave because she's a woman and she, you know we shouldn't talk about these things for a woman. It's addressed later on mm-hmm. where she says it's important. They look to us as authority figures, and you cut all of my authority out from underneath me to trick them to go leave. That's not the first time that Crawford does it, because he does it at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> yeah. When she sends him to go interview, go interview Hannibal. And even Chilton knows that it's... He's like, oh, well, Jack Crawford, you know, he sent a pretty girl to go talk to Hannibal. It, it undermines all of her talent and ability and just basically equates her to being a body. And then a guy masturbates on her. <laughs> yeah. Again, the subtlety that you've... Yeah, <laughs> that you've exactly. praised the film for. Now, uh, yeah. while I say this is one of my favorite films of all time, no, not of all time. It's a good movie. I really do like the movie, but it's not one that I watch on a regular basis. It's I haven't become obsessed with the Hannibal character. He's an engaging, charismatic, interesting, unique character in, in, in film lore, and there's not going to be anybody that's going to come close to him. Not for a while, at any rate. Or at least until they remake it, oh, which God. is probably going to happen. But um, there's more to this movie than a straightforward guy kills girls, then we catch the guy. Oh, yeah, and there's another guy. He's bad. (laughs) The end. (laughs) This movie had something to say, and he did it in a subtle way. He didn't necessarily bonk us over the head with it. 
And the thing was, was that I was picking up the cues, but I was misinterpreting it the first time I watched it. And then the second time I watched it, I went, oh, it's real smart. Um, I never got upset about the LGBT stuff back in 91, simply because they said that line in the film. Uh-huh. And I said, okay, so they're cutting in, you know, they're cutting in a little bit of slack. And they're, you know, they're, they're, they're making their, they're setting it up. They said, oh, we've got a character who's, well, this could be bad. Well, let's make sure that we make it perfectly clear that we don't think this person is what, what he, he appears to be yeah. on the outset. They could have had that stronger by having another LGBT character in the movie, <laughs> but yeah, they weren't going to do that. This movie was already, I mean, this movie cuts along. It, it follows a very specific path and it gets there quickly. Which is funny, considering that it's almost two hours long. It it still blows by, and I've seen this. I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. Quite a few times. Yeah. Um, I think the performances are good. I'm not. I think that Jodie Foster is good, but not great. Um, I think that she's very good as as Clarice, but uh, um, do I think that I I rather would have seen Susan Sarandon win that year? But <laughs> that's <laughs> just me. Or better yet, Linda Hamilton, who was in T two, and I like that. But I like that role a hell of a lot better. Yeah. Than uh, than uh, Jodie Foster's character. I think that she was very good in this movie, and I felt that there are a lot of performances in this movie that are great. Chilton is so hammy and so bad. <laughs> I I'm so surprised that they allowed that performance in there because he's just from the first word that comes out of his mouth. You're like, oh, he's ugh, he's a creep. <laughs> and maybe that's all he was given. That's fine. But um, you're right. Uh, Anthony Hopkins rides that line, man. <laughs> one of the names that I didn't leave off with one of the people that may have been cast that they were really thinking about was John Lithgow. Oh. And Lithgow... Now, Lithgow can play a villain. Oh, yeah. And one of the reasons why they wanted Lithgow was not only could he play a villain, but he's also big. He's oh. a large man. And so the idea that this extraordinarily large man could fuck someone up isn't that implausible. <laughs> but I don't know if Lithgow would have been able to ride that line with 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 Lecter, right? He may have he may have pushed it over the top or underplayed Lecter to the point in which he wasn't nearly as charismatic. The thing about Lecter is that you get the impression that so long as you meet his criteria for what he thinks a good person is, he won't kill you. Right. right. Yeah. He kills rude people. Exactly. <laughs> he, he doesn't like rudeness, so he kills rude people or when he needs something. Because I'm fairly certain he didn't hang around the the, the tourists at the airport and, and listen for someone being rude and then killed the rude person in the bathroom before taking their stuff. He just killed him. Just like he killed the people in the ambulance. He didn't stop and say, oh, excuse me, are you rude? Fuck you. And then he kills him <laughs> and then kills the other person. <laughs> he's a killer. He's a killer with an internal code that we only managed to glimpse. And because of the interaction between the, those two characters, the movie works. If had if it had been Michelle Pfeiffer as uh, the Claire, uh, as Starling, I don't think this movie would have worked. And if it had been anybody else other than Anthony Hopkins, I don't know if this movie would have worked. Hopkins yeah. plays, he's charming, and you don't want to like him, and you wind up liking him. And that's maybe, maybe that's supposed to be Hannibal Lecter's greatest, that's the big, big problem with it. They keep saying, don't go near the bars. But he's such a nice guy, and he's so charming when he's not, like, cutting directly into your soul with, <laughs> <laughs> with his perceptions about your personality. Um, but I, overall, do I think it's a classic? Yes, I think it's a classic. I think that the, uh, a lot of other movies tried desperately to imitate this and failed miserably. Oh, yeah. Because I, th- I think other films looked at this and they got the same idea that I did on first watching, and that it was, oh, so they want gross stuff and exploitation. Got it. 
And then they made a bunch of tone deaf, stupid movies that had no underlying. It wasn't. They weren't speaking to bigger issues. It was, hey, there's a serial killer killing people, and now we got a woman who's gonna stop him. Yeah, and that's the end. <laughs> and there was nothing else there. And if this movie had just been that straightforward, I don't think it would be remembered as a classic. I think it's remembered now because they took the framework of a standard thriller and they put. And they included larger issues that are worthy of discussion on it. And so while I admit it is not like a go-to movie for when it's a nice uh, Sunday afternoon and I feel like a little pick-me-up movie, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> not like Steve. Not like Steve. When Steve's had too much fun during the day, he, he reaches into this black box filled <laughs> with all of his darkest films. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> I gear the wrath of God. It's good. your turn. <laughs> I smiled too much today. <laughs> Did you say of God. Aguirre, the Wrath of God, yeah. You know, a nice, a nice summer afternoon movie. <laughs> but I will admit, it is it is an excellent film, and I think it did deserve the awards and accolades that it got. And it does deserve to be remembered as a classic, because quite honestly, I don't really see anything else matching it. Not from Hollywood now! <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Steve? Classic? Not classic. Oh, I don't know. Oh, shut up. <laughs> no, I, yeah, of course. I think it's, it's, it's a, it, I thought it was a classic the first time I saw it, and I think it's a classic now, and you're right. I mean, it did spawn, like, as a result, largely of this movie, the 90s became sort of like the decade of the serial killer movie. Yeah. And few of them even approached this one's level of quality, and none of them, for my money, attained it or surpassed it. No so. Hannibal, no Saw. No. And Saw is literally like, I'm going to put, well, I'm going to say everything out loud that I believe in. <laughs> There's no subtlety in any of our scripts. <laughs> and we're just going to keep doing the same thing. Over and over again. So, yeah, yeah. classic. Hey, Steve. Yeah, man. What are we going to do next time on a review? What do you want to do? What classic movie do we have to do now? Some popular fucking film that everyone knows about and everyone's seen. I mean, our birthday, we're both maybes next week. This Maybe, we by the way, is my vernacular for anyone that was born in the month of May. We're both maybes. Good to know. Steve and I. Steve was born at the beginning of May, and I was born at the better end, uh, the other end. <laughs> the better end. <laughs> I share my birthday with JFK. He shares his birthday with, uh, I don't know, um, Yahoo Serious. Who do you share your birthday with? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you do too. I don't. Well, I don't know who I share my birthday with, but I know that oh. that that my birth on my birthday, uh, it was the same date of Alan Shepard's first Mercury flight, in May fifth, nineteen sixty one. So, well, good for that? you. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, we deserve to do a movie. We need. We get to. You know, we're gonna break out of our our just a birthday present for for both of us, from me to you <gasps> and you to me. Really? Let's let's break format. Oh boy. There's a movie that we have name dropped, and I don't know, 54 out of the 55 <laughs> reviews that we've done. Oh. I have openly complained about not being able to review this movie because technically it's not a classic. I don't know why I'm talking that way. I made up the rules for this fucking podcast myself. <laughs> and now you have figured out a way to break them without breaking them. That's which right. I think you deserve a lot of credit for. That's right. So here's the dealio. Next show, it's going to be a special birthday show. Birthday, birthday for me and Steve. Yeah. And we're going to review a movie that isn't necessarily considered a classic, but it's one of the greatest movies ever made. And not any, but no one knows about it. And how in the world is anyone else going to see this movie and go, holy 
shit, that's a good movie. Yeah. If we don't do a review of it, right, Steve? Damn right. Because it's it, it's not not a classic because it's a bad movie. It's because not enough of these fucking dipshits out here have seen it. <laughs> I'm talking to you. That's right. We're angry, and we're going to do a review of this movie, whether you like it or not. And yeah. And he's like, holy shit, what movie is it? It better not be that He-Man shit. Yeah. It's not a He-Man movie. <laughs> not this time. The movie that we're going to review next time, and, and boy, I love telling you guys this, because if you haven't seen this movie, you're going to thank us. You're oh, going to yeah. not... You, oh. You're in for a treat. That's right. Before the next podcast drops, you guys go out, and you watch... The classic, oh boy, it defines it. noir, thriller, <laughs> mystery, piece of awesome cake that you just can't stop eating. It's a good movie is what we're saying. It's, yeah, it's good, really good. Um, the movie that we're going to review next is The Third Man. Ah, finally. I can't believe I got to say that sentence, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So remember, we're kind of breaking format. Only once a year. Only once a year. Kind of like blowjobs. Yeah. Only once a year. <laughs> Only once a year. Or else you get used to it, and it's not special anymore. Yeah, that's right. It just becomes, oh, this again? Yeah, you don't want that. Learn a new trick. You don't want anyway. <laughs> What, are you trying to impress me? <laughs> the third man. Go find it. Orson Welles. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say Sebastian Cabot. <laughs> Joseph Cotton. Thank you, Joseph Cotton. Sebastian Cabot. I mean, maybe. <laughs> and a super fun carousel ride. Go find... <laughs> yes. <laughs> go find the third man you won't regret it. Watch it and then listen to our review of it next time here on Late Seating. And that's it. Yep. We're done. Um, for Late Seating. Deep within the basement of the insane. <laughs> Just for movie reviewers. <laughs> Leonard Balton's in the next cell over. Oh, yeah, He's been yeah. jerking it the entire time. <laughs> he, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid to walk out of here because he was giving me the eye when I came through. Sorry. I'm sorry. Ah, not your fault. I mean, it is, relates, but it's not. Relate seating. This has been Jason Harding. And go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. And believe me, you don't want Jason Harding inside your head. No, not the way I do it. <laughs> I get in there with spoons. Oh, God. It's messy. It takes a long time. Yeah. Not even sharp. I don't sharpen the spoon or nothing. I just go go to town. Yeah. He's Better v- hope you have a soft head. <laughs> He's very literal-minded, you know? I, like, I don't believe in metaphor. Most people say get inside somebody's head. They mean, like, mess with him, you know, talk to him. No, Jason yeah. just digs right in, and it's you know not like? fun. No, it's not. You know what I like best about it? Is you told them that at the end of the podcast, and they probably were listening to this headphones, I've been in your head the whole time. (gasps) (laughs) Well, okay, so that was a tactical error on my part. (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. Hey, move a little bit closer to the plexiglass. Okay, I'm here. Yeah, what's up? I just want to smell you a little bit. Oh, God. (sighs) Okay. You've been eating meat. What? I'm telling your wife. You, You don't know a damn thing. You're not a vegetarian. Wait a minute. Shut up. I smell a Wendy's. Don't. No. All right. That's a that's a Dave's double. We should go. We you know what? We've this is we usually end the show right about here, so. A filet of fish Don't. sandwich 3 weeks ago? God damn it. What is what is your wife going to say? You told her you're a vegetarian. No, I wasn't going to look. It's, I just cheat every once in a while, okay? Oh, Steve. Old chicken nuggets you oh. found under the side of the seat in your car? I was so hungry. <laughs> well, that's okay. I got some recipes to share with you. <laughs>
Good, because I, I mean, you know, vegetables just don't keep. Uh, I know. Hey, you want, you want to watch me make a guy swallow his tongue? Oh, yes. <laughs> is, it, is it Malton in the next cell? It's Malton, all right. <laughs> Let's do it. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Let Me Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Let Me Listen. And thanks for listening.